Well, you're looking good out there. Uh, I'm not always sure about 10.30 when I look upon the uh, many chairs out there, if you're uh, on your way. But uh, you were this morning, and you got here. So I know it's a huge temptation to stop at the food table on your way in. So um, I'm glad you made it to your seats, because uh, if you had just missed those last three songs and what the Lord was doing in there, then you, you missed something good. You, you might have seen there's a sheet just like this is sitting uh, on your chair, maybe the chair next to you. Um, this is not a night where all of our small groups meet. In fact, there's just a smaller number of our groups that meet uh, tonight. And I just thought this was so important, what we're talking about this week, that I went ahead and just gave you a copy of, the, of our neighborhood group lesson plan. So those that are going to neighborhood groups, you're going to go through this tonight or this week. And those who are not, this is for you. You could take it home. You can use it as your personal devotion, gather your family around, and you can work together on it. Uh, and this would just be a good resource for you to have. And so I thought we'd print one. That is what that relates to, but it goes along uh, with our, our talk this morning. Have you been enjoying the, the 10 series? Has that been working? Yeah, good. Like five of you have, have been joined. That's good. I'm glad. That's more than I thought. So uh, this week we're going to continue that. And I'm going to tell you, for me personally, I have really enjoyed it. Um, I get to spend the week researching this, and the impact it's made on my life and on my own thinking about my Christianity and how it relates to the way I live my life and interact with other people has been very, it's been just very impactful uh, to me during this time. I mean, the joy that we have found in my family in like really solidifying that we are going to take Sunday and we're going to rest. I mean, I know we come and we set up and tear down just the same as some of you do, um, but then we go and we rest. And we just say, we're not going to do this activity. We're not going to work on this thing. And we just, sometimes we look at piles of stuff that uh, we'd like to get done. But it has been such a joy. And that really came out, that conviction of walking through the Sabbath series. It's been so impactful that I feel like God has been very uh, direct in my life in some areas. And all the way to the point that, I mean, there's even been confession during this time to kind of pull people around me and say, hey, I want to confess this because I feel like I haven't lined up to uh, where God would want us to be. And so that's what it's done in my own heart. I hope it's done the same thing in your heart. Uh, if it has not done any of that, you, you might want to check your heart a little bit. There, there might be a hard place in there that's resisting what God would like to challenge you in. So, And I'll leave it at that and let God work with you. But we're going to jump right into this week. If you got in here and you didn't grab one of the uh, sheets, slip up your hand. Richard would be happy to bring you one right now so that you can walk through it. There is a few blanks to fill in uh, this morning. Uh, but I uh, want to make sure you have that. So last week we walked through this uh, eighth this eighth commandment of not stealing. And when we're talking about not stealing, we're talking about, you know, don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you, right? And that's very important, especially as this culture is starting out of the Hebrews now away from slavery into the wilderness, and God is giving them their freedom, leading them to a promised land. And he says, well, hey, one of our key rules is don't steal. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. We also talked about not robbing yourself of what God has designed you to be as well. This week, though, we go into a, a different command, but you're going to see how these work together. It says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Don't fear, bear false witness. Some of you guys just, it, it cuts it really quick, and it just says, don't lie, depending on your translation there. 
it was actually Shakespeare that brings uh, th- these two things together from one of his writings. Here's what it says. Good name in man and woman, dear my lord, is the immediate jewel of their soul. Who steals my purse steals trash. Trash, tis nothing, or tis something, nothing. Twas mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. Now what's he saying there? He's basically just saying, if you take my stuff, you took my stuff. It was somebody else's before it was mine. Now it's mine. You just took stuff. It it doesn't mean anything. It's just stuff. And then he goes on. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. What is he saying now? But you take my reputation. You steal my good name. And you have damaged me indeed. And so you can see how these work together. On one week, that we're learning, don't take other people's stuff. That causes a big relational problem when you take something that doesn't belong to you. But now, don't bear false witness. Don't testify against here. Don't lie. Don't do something that would harm someone else's reputation, uh, maybe your own, in the process. The word we use often, maybe your translation, is this word slander. Slander. You ever used it? You ever told somebody, don't slander me? And when we say that word, if we just put it in American context, in American culture, we can run the gamut on what it means. I mean, what one person thinks it means versus another person, it could go go across the board. Let me give you two things that we do when we slander sometimes. Uh, Number one, we find this even in God's word when the word is used, we totally make something up. Completely out of left field, we make it up from scratch, right? I mean, we say something, you know, like, you know, Tom Raven is the most beautiful male that has ever been created by God in the history of mankind. So, um, you know, that would be just like making something up and scratch. I mean, anybody but my wife thinks that, right? Or doesn't think that, excuse me. <laughs> Wait, is that right? Yeah. Not sure what I'm just said there. Understand my own examples. <laughs> when we just conjure something up entirely, we make something up. In fact, it is one of the reasons we put such strong measures in play with your children. Because we understand that for every teacher, for every youth worker, for every pastor, for every person in ministry, period, we're all only one accusation away from ruin. Whether we did it or not, an accusation is a huge, huge deal. And so we put these measures in place. I mean, you're, you're never going to see our youth leaders driving a male, driving a female home. It just, it's not going to work that way. Um, and so we put measures in place because we understand accusation is important. So there's that under slander. You just make something up totally uh, out of thin air, and you say, so-and-so did this, or they are this, and you know it's been conjured up entirely. But the second thing in slander, and maybe the one that hits us more, is that we start with a small truth and we build upon it. We start with something small and then we build and we build and we make it more of a to-do than it really is. Happens in our schools all the time. The one poor kid that trips in the hallway 
And then what's built upon them, they're a klutz, they're, you know, a mess, they're a, and just fill in the word that's used to describe that person over and over. And then, you know, the jokes uh, uh, that might go along with that, all the way to the point where you can call it straight out bullying. And did they trip? Were they clumsy? Maybe. It starts with a small truth, and we build upon that, and we do it over and over and over. That's another form of slander. Now, think about this for a second, because I think I said God might hit you through the side door, the, the open window here, of the times when we do that as well. For most of us, you probably don't conjure something up from thin air and say, this person did that when you know it's just totally made up. But often, we can start with a small truth, and then we can let our imaginations go, and we can start working with what we might think or what we would hope because we'd like to see that person, you know, I don't know, ruin or at least have them always fall under us, and we conjure up stories. So those are two forms of slander that we often deal with, and we actually find in God's Word, if we had time this morning to walk through, we even find that that shows up uh, in, uh, in our Bible. Now, God is basically saying in the very beginning, that is not okay. It's not okay. It's only okay to speak truth about someone. This person actually did this. They actually said this. Sometimes our slander is, yeah, they did this, but what they really meant. I know what they were really saying. Mm, no, you don't. It can be a form of slander. And so we have to really think that too. God is saying it's not okay. In fact, it's so strong that if you flip with me in the New Testament, I told you a couple of these passages uh, would be in here. Uh, in Ephesians, when Paul is writing, here's what he says. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 30. If you don't get there in time, just, just write it in the margin. You can look this up on your own. In fact, great verse uh, to just meditate on this week. It says this, chapter 4, verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Some of your translations say it's don't grieve the heart of God. How do you grieve the heart? How do you bring sorrow to the heart of God? Well, he goes on and says it. If you look at verse 31, he says, look, get rid of all bitterness, rage. He's saying these things bring sorrow to the heart of God when we have bitterness and rage, anger, harsh words, and, say it with me, slander. Puts it right in. This is serious stuff that he is saying here. It grieves the heart of God when we slander. And so we find in the Old Testament that God says in his top ten list, he says, don't do this. And then all the way in the New Testament where Paul confirms this and said, not only don't do it, but this is what grieves the heart of God that when we do this, it hurts the heart of God. Now, many of you, uh, you may work in a setting, whether you love your boss or you hate your boss, irrelevant. You rarely want to grieve the heart of your boss um, and it be your fault. Because you know you're going to have a little meeting, right? They're going to sit you down and we're going to talk about this. If you made the boss upset, you made the boss look bad or whatever, um, you're going to have a little talk. Grieving the heart of God means, I mean, we've put God in a spot where he looks down and he is heartbroken with what we are doing. Heartbroken. And so Paul says this very seriously here and puts it into this category with the other other things that uh, we also would find in the Ten Commandments. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at, if you want to get serious about not slandering, if you want to be sure you're not engaging in that, we're going to talk about four commitments that you could make this morning. And that's where your, your sermon notes come into play. So if you want to 
grab those. We'll walk through the first one. Here's the first one. Is I'm going to reject any slander against a family member. And you might go, hmm, what does he mean by that? Well, let's talk about that. Um, I'm a pastor, right? And I get up on stage almost every single week and share with you something. And I try my hardest to make sure I'm just sharing this and putting very little of my own thought and opinion into it, all right? Because I want, at the end of the day, when you walk away, I want you to go, Man, that was the Word of God. That's what God's Word says. Now, I'm paid to commentate as well on God's Word or help explain it, but I'd really like it to be God's Word you take and hear and walk away. But I realize there are probably times where you go away and you go, I don't know what Tom said. I don't agree with him. What's the matter with him this morning? You know? um, or such a, why is he doing that? Why are we doing that at the church? Why, you know, and on and on. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of easy ways to critique in the church world, especially when one person stands up. Can I just tell you something? It doesn't really bother me that much. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't bother. Remember the that much part? Um, I don't lose a lot of sleep, whether you might be going home saying I was with Tom on that or I wasn't with Tom on that, especially if I know I, I really shared God's word. Um, but like any pastor... You come after, like, my wife or my kids, that's a totally different story. Men, do you understand what I'm talking about? Because you don't have to be a pastor to understand what I just said. In fact, it has nothing to do with the pastor. Um, that it, and you can come after me, you could say something, but you come after my wife, my kids, you say something about them that I know is not accurate. It's it, like that. It's go time, right, on that. Um, you know, that's the, one of the few times I want to put my Taekwondo into practice and, and go at it. And men, I know you feel that because several of you are nodding um, as well because you understand what I'm saying when somebody... You know what? God put that in you. God put that in you, that protective mode that we will, we will withstand so much on ourselves before we say, hey, man, back off, knock it off. But we will withstand very, very little when it comes to our family, to my wife, and to my kids. When you look at it from God's perspective, he is our Heavenly Father. And so God created every single one of you. He designed you. He made you. He's got this purpose and plan for your life. We talked about it last week. Don't rob yourself of that plan. Well, guess what? He doesn't want anybody else robbing you of that plan either with slander. And so it grieves God's heart when we speak about someone else in a slanderous fashion. He hates that because it's his children. And the way I, as, my, as a father, would not stand for you speaking against my kids, God will not stand for people slandering his kids, his creation. And then you look at his church, and do you know what God calls it? I mean, this is his bride. It's his bride. And in the same way that I will not tolerate you speaking about my wife, God does not tolerate people speaking about his church. It is his bride. He cares deeply for it. Now, does church need reform? Do we mess things up? Do things need to be changed? Are there times in church history where we're more ashamed than other times? Absolutely. 100%. But at no time does God not have a passionate love for his bride. And when he looks down here and he sees there's 165 people gathered at Wendover Hills, and we're just one of many. He looks down here and he has passion. This is his bride, what we are doing, and God will not tolerate slander on his bride. 
That's how important this issue is. And so when we look at this and we said, look, reject any slander against a family member. Reject it. The same way you would reject it against your own wife and kids or husband and kids, we reject it anywhere. God created people and God created and calls this church his bride. And so we pull together. Here's what Proverbs 18.8, and it's repeated in 26.22. So if you have trouble memorizing 18.8, just pop over and memorize 26.22. Either way, you got it. All right? Thank you for the two laughters on that. So I worked really hard on that joke. All right. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Isn't that a great passage? They're dainty morsels. I, I love how, if you just read that and it wasn't in the context of slander at all, I mean, you may just pass over that, but I love that. Rumors are dainty morsels. I mean, I, I think about at the end of eating, uh, you know, a piece of cake and you just have a little bit around the edge. Um, if a crumb falls off the cake before you finish the cake, you rarely grab the crumb and eat it. But when it's all gone, you know, you will eat that. In fact, you'll lick your finger, you'll move it all around the plate so all the crumbs will stick to one finger, and then you will put it in your mouth and finish off all the crumbs, right? Uh, You call it washing the dishes. And it's like that. Rumors are like that. I mean, we just eat it up. We love it, those type of rumors, and we take it in. and, And you know what? So often, it's just slander. And we're just participating, and we're just keeping the engine going. Especially like this. You know so Oh, you know something? Oh, well, tell me. I want to I hear about it. And that person shares it, and now you have information to share. And you know what we feel when we have a, a rumor or a morsel or something to share? We kind of feel powerful when we have something to share. And so we either hold on to it or we share it based on how we want to use that power. It can be very dangerous and it, see- it sinks deep into one's heart is what the writer in Proverbs says. Here's a second commitment and it goes along, right along. It flows right out of it. I will retain the power of my words. I'll retain the power of my words because your words have tremendous, tremendous power. Anytime somebody pulls you up and says this, hey, Tell me what you think. Your words probably have pretty good power. If they didn't care about your words, rarely does somebody say, tell me what you think. And this same thing plays out in this, tell me, and not about what you think, tell me about Zeb. I want to hear, tell, what, what was that you heard about him? I want to hear a little bit about him. Does anybody have anything good about Zeb? Some, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I know, we'll have lots of good. Um, but that's how it works. Tell me what you know. What, what did you? What, he, what did he do? And then it starts. And there's power in that. And the more I know that I can share, then the more power I have because I have an audience. And often I have a captive audience that might want that information. And when I share that information, I'm a pretty popular person for that little portion of time. Uh, I'm pretty popular. I see it all the time in the basketball recruiting world because, I mean, we're in a basketball, college basketball state. I mean, you've got a couple teams that are okay. I mean, nothing quite like Kentucky, but you've got a couple teams that are, you know, I mean, they they hold their own sometimes. Um, And, I mean, unless it's Mercer, then it's a little harder. Um, um, But when, uh, um, but in this recruiting world, what happens often is a recruit 
is coming up to their time where they are going to share where they're going to school, right? And everybody wants to know, at least those that are into college basketball or fans of the five or six or ten teams they might be considering from, and everybody wants to know, and guess what happens on the talk shows over and over are the little message boards? It is people talking about what they know. Why well, talk to so-and-so, and his uncle eats barbecue down at so-and-so, and here's what they said, and on and on. What are they trying to do? They are saying, I have some form of power through my information that I'm willing to share with you. And for that moment in time, they are pretty popular. And the message boards prove it all the time. It is so equal. It is so equal with our words. So our commitment is, I'm going to retain the power of my words. Instead of me saying, um, I'm going to tell you what I know, at the right times, I'm going to say, you know, it's not my place to say. Not my place to, to say anything. You know, I haven't been given permission to share that. Those are two important phrases to learn right there. Will you have somebody looking at you that might be upset? Well, I thought we were friends. Well, we are, but we don't do that. Um, I'm going to retain the power of my words, and I'm going to hold on to that. Here's what Matthew uh, writes in, in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. This is a good one. If you struggle with this at all, if you've been hit hard already, put this in your memory bank. And, and I tell you this, you must give an account or judgment on judgment day for every idle, what? Word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or they will do what? They will condemn you. Words are powerful. And God is not playing around with our words. In fact, can I just tell you, church, bride of Christ this morning, can I tell you that if we would simply put this into play, forget the first eight commandments for now. Let's say we got to really work on that. But let's say we could walk out of here today and we could put the ninth commandment into play and our words never slandered. And our, ne our words were never anything but powerful, uplifting, and convicting when necessary. We would be viewed radically different than Christians are viewed, especially in the U.S. We would be viewed differently. Our reputation would be different if we could get a hold of how we use our words. It's so powerful. And when he says it's going to acquit you or condemn you, the evangelical Christian reputation in the U.S. is pretty well condemned right now. Now, there's some things we're holding to in our values and faith, and that's part of that condemnation. We don't want to mess with that. But there's another side that is just about how we live and what we say. And the bottom line is, is family, if we could just clean it up, we would make a bigger impact on our world. Let's look at, at this next one, and I want to lead into it by looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 15, it won't be on your screen, so uh, either look or follow along or, or you know, like strain your neck and look over somebody's shoulder. That always makes them feel nice and awkward. Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're all together, and uh, Jesus is with his uh, disciples, and the disciples are not really by Jesus' lead, they're not following the right ceremonial hand-washing um, that, that they're supposed to do before they partake in food. And this was a big you know, no-no for the religious leaders. This was a, you know, very ceremonial. And uh, what would happen is they would take about an eggshell size of water and you would dip your fingers in uh, this way. 
and you'd only clean the fingertips because it was ceremonial. This was not really getting rid of germs. They didn't know anything about germs for 1,500 more years. But they would stick their fingertips in because it was ceremonial. It would say basically everything you touched out there was now very possibly is unclean. And not unclean in the sense that you and I are talking about. They got bacteria and germs and everybody's going to get sick. But unclean like religiously unclean. Um, so you might have touched somebody out there that was not, you know, in right standing with God per the law, and you need to wash. So there's ceremony, and they dip their fingers in this, and they, you know, do this kind of thing, and that's about it, all right? No soap involved. And so that was a, cl- a cleansing. Now, if you were out, and you actually um, touched, you know, heaven forbid you touched a Gentile, a non-Jewish person uh, at the time, you actually washed twice. You washed this way, and you let the water run down, uh, and then you equally washed this way uh, as well. And um, it was two separate. It was like a double cleansing if you happen to touch a non-Jewish person out there. And Jesus just flies in, and they just are ready to, to go right at the food, and they don't do anything with this, right? Um, and you go like, yeah, why would they? Well, here it's a big problem. Here's what we find in verse 2. Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our, cere- our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Well, they ask Jesus just this question. I don't know if Jesus is a little ornery this day, um, but he's pretty direct with them. Here's what he says. Well, uh, why do you, by your own traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? That's pretty, that's pretty harsh right back on him. Why do you, by your traditions, that's what they're preaching, why do you violate God's commandments, his, his words? So he goes on to give them an example. Um, and then in verse 7, he gets even harder. I told you he's a little, uh, seems a little ornery today, or he's just really wanting to make the point. Verse 7, he says, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Then in verse 10, this is where it gets good. Then Jesus called the crowd to come over and hear. Now, you see what Jesus is doing? He's with his disciples. He's with the religious leaders, right? They have a little confrontation. And now Jesus is going to use this as a teaching point. And who does he turn to? He says, all right, everybody, everybody, come on. Gather up. Let's talk this over. Let me tell you what we're doing here. I mean, and so he calls all of them over and he says, listen. And try to understand... <laughs> It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples, I mean, they, they pull Jesus aside. And this had to take some guts. But they pull him and say, hey, Jesus, man, can I, can I just talk to you? Can I just tell you, in, in verse 12, Jesus, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? That's a, that's a great line for the, the disciples. They're trying to be kind. They don't know if he actually knew what he said. And, um, so, and then here's what Jesus says. He says, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is basically saying, you know, paraphrase, you know, well, uh, you offended them. Uh, well, tell somebody that cares. Hey, Jesus, he doesn't care. He knows exactly what he's doing. Then Peter said to Jesus, um, Jesus... And this is great, because you would think as his followers they would know, and it's probably even hard to ask when you don't know, right? It's like when you don't know somebody's name and you have to go up and ask, um, what was your name again? Or you pull somebody aside and say, tell me that person's name. Um, but Peter does. He comes up and he says, explain to us the parable that, that says people aren't defiled by what you eat. So explain to me what you mean. Here's what Jesus says. Don't you understand yet, Jesus says, 
ask, anything you eat passes through the stomach, then goes into the sewer. I mean, you know what we're talking about? It goes through the stomach, goes out to the sewer. No flushing commodes at the time. Jesus is talking cultural. There. It's in the Bible, all right? It's just Jesus' description. It's not me. He's dirt. All right. Verse 18. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. Your heart is what defiles you. And what you speak comes from your heart, is what Jesus is saying. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Jesus is saying this. Look, I don't care whether you dip your fingers in an eggshell of water or not. All right? It does nothing. All right? Jesus is saying, but what you put into your heart will come out. And what words come out, what you say and how you treat somebody, it is a picture of your heart. Listen, if you're struggling today, then with slander or how you speak or you just feel an urge to say something negative about somebody else, there's something going on in here. There's something in the heart that's not quite right. There's something God needs to transform and work with in your heart. And so the commitment, uh, number three, is this week I'll monitor what's leaking out. I'll monitor what is leaking out. That's important. If you had a dripping faucet, you would monitor that, right? You would look at that, and then you would fix that. The same thing here. You monitor what's leaking out here. James uh, is the writer. He's actually a brother of Jesus, writes a book of the Bible. It's later on in the New Testament, if you're not familiar with it. It's short enough. You could go home this afternoon. You could read the whole book, and you say, hey, I I read a whole book today. Um, And you would have the book of James. But James speaks so strong about the tongue And if you remember, he talks about the tongue being like a rudder of a ship, the small little part that directs the whole ship. Um, And here's what he says in James chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, the tongue we're talking about here, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and curse come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Verse 11, does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives and a, or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What's he saying there is, I, I can't even come up with a good example of anywhere is what James is saying, that something is equal to what the tongue does. You know, the, the water doesn't work that way. The trees and the fruit doesn't work that way. But somehow we allow ourselves to praise God and then to go curse his creation at the same time. And, and James is saying, this, this is just not right. This doesn't work. And so this week, a good commitment for you is to monitor what you're leaking out. Now, some of you, you'll just like, you'll click it in and you'll start working on this and it, you'll catch yourself. Some of you, like, if you want to get serious about this, you might go so far as just getting yourself a little notebook, a little, uh, maybe a pad of paper like this, and just carry it with you. Well, this is a little big to carry, but you might get something smaller. Um, and you might just write down every time you catch yourself saying something, or every time you want to say something, and just write it down. What were you going to say? What did you say? What was the context? It might be a pretty interesting experiment to go back at the end of the week and look back on that. I bet you pick up patterns of where you were and what you were feeling and what was going on so that we don't have what James is detesting here and monitoring this. Here's the last one, commitment four. Since I can't tame the tongue, that's what James says, you can't tame it. I will submit 
it, the tongue, to the king's service. I'll commit the tongue to God. If I can't tame it myself, and I've got to commit it to God, and I've got to trust God to do some transformation in my heart. It's the difference between just behavioral modification and really receiving God's Holy Spirit to transform something we can't transform on our own. This over here, anybody can do it. You don't need the church. You don't need God. You don't need his scriptures. But over here is totally dependent on God to allow his Holy Spirit to work in your life. I don't know what you've experienced in life, but I've experienced my effort way over here. I just keep falling and stumbling, and I just don't make it. And for some of you, you know what that's like in different areas of your life. But over here, when I really allow the Spirit to take over, the testimony of transformation is much different. And so I boil it down to this simple phrase. You might want to write it down this morning. It says you, you just need to get more God in your heart. You get more God in your heart. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you might have a bunch of scripture memorized. You might have 32 years in the church. And if we were to start having a theological discussion, you could talk pretty good. But you're having a lot of hardship living it out, putting it into play, because it doesn't own here. It doesn't own the heart. It may just be stuck up here. Um, Getting more God into your heart. There's a time in Scripture, John chapter 18, verse 38 is what I gave you. But uh, Jesus is on trial now, and he's before Pilate. This is the Roman leader, the head guy in the area, kind of like a governor uh, in our state here. And as he's here, he asked Jesus, in this growing frustration, he asked Jesus, as Jesus is talking about truth, and, and he's being a little elusive, Pilate just says, what is truth? Here's the sad part of the story is he doesn't wait for the answer. He says, what is truth? And he goes right into the rest of what his speech is, which is being really pressured on him by the people that are chanting for him to be crucified and for him to be punished. And Pilate never receives the answer to what is truth. I think of all the questions that Jesus is asked during his arrest, and he goes before three different people, of all the questions... This is the question Jesus would have answered straight out. He's a little mysterious in some of his answers and others. I think he would have answered this one straight out. Why do we know that? Because in just a few chapters earlier in the same book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus was asked this, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. Now, I don't know if Pilate would have been like that. It might have sped up the crucifixion process. I don't know. But Jesus spoke, and he said to us, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. Since you can't tame your tongue this morning, how about submitting it? Submitting that in your heart to God, to the King. In fact, if you're here this morning, and you've been here the last eight weeks, and this is like your ninth week, and and you've heard them all up to now, you saw the pattern. It's the same pattern. What we're saying here is that if you really, really want to work on these in your life, and let God transform you, it's a heart issue. And you have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you don't know him as your Savior, then this is it. This is the day to say yes to Christ, to come into your life, to be the Lord of your life, to go out of here knowing you are a Christian. 
But we know, believers, also that you might have a testimony years back and you're sitting here today and you know that you don't allow God access to your heart to really do this work. And this morning you have to say the same thing. I can't tame the tongue, so I've got to submit. I've got to submit this tongue to the kingdom service or the king's service and to God. Here's what I, I, I wrote. You might write this down if, you, if you're so inclined. It says this. The quickest way to clean up your mouth is to clean up your heart. That's, that's the quickest way. If you want to deal with this slander issue, cleaning up the heart. And God wants to do that. Here's a final takeaway this morning. I will commit to speak truth so that someone far from God comes to know the truth of Jesus. I've got to speak truth because somebody out there that doesn't know God needs to hear me be able to speak the truth of God. And really the only way I'm going to be given the opportunity to speak the truth of Jesus is if I'm speaking the truth about people. If I'm caring for people and loving people and slander and lying and gossip and everything that falls under this umbrella is not included in that. Christians, believers, and family here, I just believe we could make a huge impact. And so, would you commit with me? I mean, would you commit even if you're like, man, I'll try it seven days, Tom, to really get a handle on this. Would you commit to making a different impact in people's life with your words this week? It includes what you say. It includes what you write on your Facebook, your Twitter, your pictures on Instagram, whatever you put out there, your emails, whatever. It includes it all. And this week, I think God will make a big impact. I want to pray for you on this because I think this is a whole lot easier sometimes said than done. And so this week, I want to pray that you and I would put this into practice. uh, And then we'll share some other stuff in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, I recognize that we are all culprits. We have been of saying things that we shouldn't have said, of slandering people, of saying things that went too far, that added information that embellished something that might have started as a small truth. Some of us, Lord, we're guilty of just making things up entirely, entirely from scratch. I don't know, maybe to get out of something or maybe because we just, we just wouldn't want to see that person gain an advantage over us. Whatever it is, Lord, there is a heart issue at play. And this morning, I pray, Lord, if there be anyone here that this hit them in a way they're, they're saying, that's me. I don't know why I struggle with this. I hate that I struggle with this. And I've got to make a change. This morning that they would stop and they would just say, Holy Spirit, own my heart in this area. I surrender it to you. I may or may not like what you tell me to do this week, Holy Spirit, but I am going to be obedient to what you would have me do because it's better life. I promise you the communion you have with the Holy Spirit will be rich in and of itself. And then your actions will be different. And so, Lord, we give that to you, and we trust you, Lord, in all this. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. Well, I appreciate you letting me walk through that. We have one more week of this, um, and before we get uh, anything else this morning, I uh, sent an email this week where I was going to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, the building, and what we're going to do is we're just going to hang on one second because we're going to allow our kids um, to, yeah, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We're going to allow our kids to come up and our workers to come up and be a part of this um, and to uh, be able to to hear a little bit about this as well. So um, so we'll let them them come up and but we'll get started, I guess, uh, as as we're doing this.